Hebrews chapter 10. We haven't been doing this for a while, but let's go ahead and stand. Uh, We'll pay honor to the reading of God's word. Uh, We're going to wrap up our series on church matters tonight uh, by talking about the church gathered from Hebrews chapter 10, looking at verse 24 and 25. Let's go ahead and read God's word. This is God's word to his people. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Mm. That's God's word to his people and praise God we're able again to read it together in community. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for this evening. We thank you for the opportunity to be back together in person, worshiping you, live preaching, live worship. Uh, Father, we know that uh, it is something that we have probably uh, been reminded of time and time again over the last few weeks, how much we take this for granted. And I pray that you would help us to be people who never let that happen again. So be with us now as we make our way through your word Speak to us through it. May it change us and mold us and shape us into who you desire us to be. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Um, Something happened to me this week um, that changed the way that I thought about what I knew. And no, it wasn't anything super um, amazing. Um, To a lot of you, this is going to seem really, really odd and perhaps weird. And some of you will probably... Uh, roll your eyes, but to be honest with you, that is good that just in the fact that we're together for me to see you roll your eyes while I'm preaching again. So something happened this week as I uh, was studying, reading, doing different things, uh, opened Apple Music, and probably and for the first time really ever, sat and watched an orchestra perform classical music. Um, I have long wanted to go to uh, symphony, uh, enjoy classical music for about the last decade. That has really been playing behind me as I've read a lot, studied a lot, and uh, just had background noise. And, and sometimes, just to be honest with you, generally enjoy that genre of music. But I had never uh, seen an orchestra perform. And when you have heard something for 10 years and then you see it happen in front of you, if you're not prepared for that, it will blow you away. Now, it also helped that it wasn't like um, the middle of nowhere Oklahoma symphony playing. It was one of the greatest symphonies in the world right now in Amsterdam playing together and uh, the Dutch National Symphony Orchestra playing together and it was incredible. But as I was watching it and then obviously thinking about the sermon that I was going to preach this week, I thought about not any part of that performance that I watched for about three minutes for one song to to play from beginning to end, none of that would have been able to happen unless everybody showed up. The sounds that were happening, the movements that were happening, the passion that uh, was on display, watching a weird-haired director conduct, none of that would have happened if one violinist would have shown up with the director or just the violinists by themselves. And it was a good reminder as I began to think about tonight, about talking about the church being gathered together. We perhaps have been tempted over the last few weeks to believe that we can do church without each other. 
Now, I did not orchestrate to end here. I did not plan it out, know that we were going to be back together. They said we weren't going to be back together until sometime in the middle of July. This was planned to be delivered to you online as well. So lest you think I'm being opportunistic, that's not how this played out. But I want to challenge us tonight to consider as we get back into the routine of coming to church on Sunday mornings and Wednesday nights to really think about what's happening when we gather. Also, I'm going to challenge us later to look around the room and notice who's not here. I think it's important as we consider what it means for the church to matter and and why it matters to really consider why does God's word instruct us to gather. And so tonight, uh, just to break you back in, only two points, just gently nudge you back into in-person collegiate preaching. So first, look at the purpose of gathering. Look at verse 24. Verse 24 says this, And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. So the author of Hebrews, and, and we could take another section of time to have a debate about who that is, but the author encourages the reader here in verse 24 to think about why they gather. And let us consider, let us engage our brain. The reader or the listener, remember, this would have been delivered, cracked open, and read aloud. So the first time that they heard this letter being delivered to them, they're encouraged and challenged to contemplate and to think about what it means to gather. So I thought, as we get ready to kind of ease back into life as normal here at church, it's probably a good idea for us to pause and to stop and to consider and think, engage our brains and go, we're not just coming back to worship and we're just going to pick up where we left off. I think if we do that, we're going to miss an important part of, of our lives to make sure that we never take gathering in this building for granted again. That when Sundays at 9.30 and 11 o'clock rolls around, our brain is thinking about what it means for us to gather. That when Wednesday night creeps up and it's, oh my gosh, it's 6 and I got to slam everything and I'm jumping in the car and I'm eating Doritos on the way here to try and get something of sustenance in my body and anticipating and rushing and getting over here, that in those moments our brains start to click and fire and the little synapses that are happening in there remind us of what the importance of what we're doing here is. Because I'm going to argue tonight from God's word, it's not my argument, it's God's word's argument, that most of us 16 weeks ago were not coming for the right motivations anyway. So as we get ready to come back, we might want to just check ourselves right at the door as we enter back in and make sure we're coming back for the right reasons. You're like, oh my gosh, this is way more intense. He's actually here and in person. Yeah, I get it. It's scary. Not sitting in a chair anymore. He says to consider one another. He says, let us consider one another. Means let's think about each other. This is completely different than the way most people attack church. Most people are thinking about me. What am I getting? What is the benefit? What's happening what what do i get what am i receiving what's happening to me who's going to speak to me who's going to talk to me who's going to greet me who's going to love me 
That's not where the author of Hebrews starts when talking about coming to church. I, I, I read books. I had to stop reading in a certain uh, category, a, a genre of books a few years ago because it just caused me to sin. Because there was this whole section of books on, uh, talking about church growth and how to grow college ministries and how to grow student ministries and how to grow churches. I had to stop reading them because it's like chapter one. Let's let's figure out. We're going to figure out how to grow a church. Chapter one is your church welcoming. It's like let's not worry about anything that the Bible says. We're going to focus in on making sure everyone's felt needs and they're warmly embraced and nobody's offended and everything. Here, can we just pause? Time out. That's not what the call here is. Let us consider one another. It means I've got to think about, and, and we're going to get some practical opportunity to do this. We haven't gathered for small groups in a really long time. And so Sunday is coming, and you're going to have Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday morning to practically begin to put this into place, to think about the people you're about to be in worship together with. We're supposed to consider, he says, let us consider one another in order, prepositions matter, in order to do what? To do what? If we're going to consider one another, we're going to think about why we're gathering. Let's consider, think about one another in order to do what? To stir them up. Now, every other time that the stir up phrase is used in biblical Greek, and in classical Greek, in literature, it is a bad thing. It's to provoke, to incite, to uh, motivate, to do bad. The, so the author of Hebrews here is flipping this phrase on its ear and saying, no, we're not going to incite church people to do bad. We're not going to incite them to to hurt one another, to harm one another, to create problems and divisions. No, he says, we're going to stir them up to do what? To love and good work. He, he says, we're going to think about one another. I love this. One commentator wrote, this type of considering to stir up towards love and good works presupposes that we will care for one another, that we will care about one another. You know, nobody is perfect. Nobody operates perfectly. And realistically, what the Lord in his kindness, even through the midst of this challenging season, is giving us is an opportunity, if you will, to press or, or some people would say mash the reset button on how we think when we come here. So it's an opportunity for us to, to wipe away the slate, all the preconceived notions that we've had up to this point, to, to walk in and say, I'm going to forget about quarantine. I'm going to forget about stay-at-home order. I'm going to forget about spring semester, fall semester, the last year. I, I'm going to come in presupposing that I'm going to care for other people. I, I'm going to come in. And, and I'm not going to hold anything against anybody else. 
I, I, I'm coming with a new, we use a technical term, uh, modus operandi. I'm coming in with a new motivation. I'm going to love deeply, care deeply, invest deeply. Not because of what I'm going to get. Not because it benefits me. Not because this is a transactional account. What does my small group give me? What does the sermon give me? What, what am I getting out of this? But because I've been called as a follower of Christ to stir one another up towards love and good works. To gently and sometimes violently maybe push my way into love more. To care more. To invest more. Some of you are about in for the, the wake up of your life because you have not been around each other and now you have the opportunity to just, just wipe the slate clean and go, hey, you know what? Sunday's coming. Opportunity to stir each other up towards love and good works. Opportunity to, to say, how can I love you better? How can I love you more? How can I be concerned? We stir each other up. That means our desire to care for others is at the root level of who we are. Our desire in caring for one another is to grow in our understanding of one another, to grow in our affection for one another. We stir up others and ourselves to love more and and, and love deeper and to work harder than we ever have before. You talk to 18 to 25 year olds, they're all concerned. Not all, maybe not all. A good majority of 18 to whatever age range that finds themselves to be single seem to be concerned with marriage, finding the one, my soulmate the person I'm going to spend the rest of my life with. And you watch, right? So we've, Jess and I have had a front row seat for the last, really the last decade. Um, when, I, when I came here in 2010 as a student, and then we transitioned to adult leaders in 2012, and then we transitioned into leading the college ministry in 2014, I had a front row seat to a lot of relationships, more than I ever have wanted to see in my entire life. I think the only way I would have seen more is if I had been involved in high school ministry, which I begged for four years in Bible college for the Lord not to send me to that wilderness. And he answered that cry and sent me one rung above to college ministry where relationships start. And you watch, right? Suddenly people who weren't, suddenly people who are over here, one's over here and one's over here are suddenly like together. Right in the section. Like you just watch it and trace it. Just we get in a car and I'm like, because I use visual markers. It's how I preach, make sure I preach to both sides of the room, even though one tends to be heavier than the other side. You got to make my way back and forth and, and, and make sure. And so people become visual markers because you're creatures of habit and sit in the same chairs. We've been away for 16 weeks and some of you came in and sat in the exact same spot. Now, if we assign seating, you'd be like, I'm never sitting there again. Thus, college ministry commences. And I'll say in the car, I noticed that this is about the only way that I pick up that a relationship is started in our college ministry. Because I can't tell when you're flirting or joking around, because some of you are so terrible at it, it's just embarrassing to be around. 
but you start to see it happen. And I say, so-and-so is sitting together and just be like, yeah, they've been talking for about like the last eight years. Where have you been? <laughs> and all of a sudden, boom, they're together. And he watches that relationship begins to bud and flower and take root and just go everywhere. And it is crazy. Some of the most prickly guys I've known in my entire life that I'm thinking, I'm a dude and I wouldn't want to be friends with you, let alone be even consider being married to you, become completely different people. Become completely different people, and they're so sweet and kind and caring and compassionate. They're opening doors for people and saying stupid things and doing stupid things and dressing in stupid ways just to impress someone. And you watch, though. You watch because it goes from being a way to beginning, and then it begins to turn over. And the affection actually begins to grow deeper and moves beyond What's your favorite color? Oh, that's my favorite color, too. I don't even know what fuchsia is, but it's my favorite color. Like, that begins to spiral, and now deep roots start to take, and that affection grows. And you watch as people are married for years and years and years. And I watch as people are married for long time, long periods of time. Sometimes just to get away from you, I find people who have been married for a long time, way out of college ministry, and they're still in love with one another, and the affection and the roots are deep. And I'm asking myself, why will we act like an idiot to impress someone that we don't even know if they truly care about us? But the people we sit in small groups with, we don't even know their last name. What a shame on the body of Christ. watch as friendships blossom and, and you watch in college is where you really begin to build some true friends because when your biggest problem is what group of guys am I going to go with to this sporting event or who I'm going to go to the prom with become distant memories and you actually have to go through life and in college you begin to get your teeth kicked in you find out really quickly who your friends are I'm just asking us tonight why we seem to be okay with being close to certain people, but the people who we claim are brothers and sisters in Christ we know nothing about. We're not concerned about them. Some of you have been in small groups where you have not talked to anyone else in your small group for the last 15 weeks. Not checked in on one person. And you're going to show up on Sunday and you're going to go through like everything's normal. It's not normal. But where the love covering a multitude of sin means we walk in on Sunday going, that doesn't matter. Because now we've got a new chance. Now I've got a new start. Got a new point. Got a new launch pad to launch out into. And I've heard this and I, I've. I've meditated on it, and I've marinated on it, and Hebrews 10.24 means, okay, forget all of that. Let's start fresh and try to provoke one another towards love and good works. Because I have a feeling if we're not careful, one of two things will happen. One, one, one thing will happen where we come in and, and we're frustrated with one another because we're like, nobody cared about me. 
Nobody was concerned about me. Nobody reached out to me. And, and so we're, we're bitter. And, and, and we come in with a hard heart, not ready to pick back up in our small groups and care about each other. The, the other thing I'm worried about, just as your pastor, being honest, where we're at in assessing the situation, the other part is the guilt. The bitterness on the one side and the guilt for the other. You come in and you know, I haven't, I haven't done what I should have done. I didn't live up to the expectations that a, a Christ follower should have for one another. And I just don't think I can come back. Because I, 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 haven't, I haven't done anything. I haven't been around. I didn't answer phone calls. I didn't respond to text messages. I didn't, I didn't reach out to anybody. And, and I, I, I can't go back. It's going to be too awkward. If you run into people like that, you've got to tell them, like, that's not how it is. That's not how it is. That's not how it is. We're not operating that way. Because the Bible doesn't call me to, to make you feel guilty about what you have or have not done. The Bible does tell me to say, this is the expectation. And so the expectation is you stir one, and up, one another up towards love and good works. And so that's where we're at. We're, we're, tr- we're trying to do that. So just, just c- come on back. Come on. Come on. It's okay. It's okay. It's okay. That's got to be our entry point on Sunday. That's got to be our entry point next Wednesday. My problem is, is like, I will jokingly make a comment like, where have you been? I haven't seen you in forever. You fall off the face of the planet. And they're like, I'm not coming back. He, he knows. He's got a list and I'm on it. I'm not Santa Claus. I don't care where you've been. So get your <coughs> rear end back in a small group. Get back into worship. Maybe you checked out for the last 15 weeks and you're like, probably preaching to people who are going to listen to this because they're like, what is he going to say? Get back. Get back in the community and be stirring one another up towards love and good works. So, i just ask you this question. Do you come to church with the intention to do any of this? So as you think about returning and being involved and, and, and gathering together, reframing the intention with which you come to church, caring more about others. And then I asked myself this, where might you be able to grow right now, practically making some changes? Where are some places spiritually with the way that you think about other people, the way that you want to invest in other people, where you can practically make some changes right now? Maybe tonight, you just jot out one or two or type it in your phone in a note and just say, there's one or two things where I can practically change and grow and be more like Christ and be more invested in the people around here. I, I love the quote by Roy Fish. Uh, I, I never had the honor of meeting him. He's a, a great evangelism pr- professor at uh, uh, Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. And he said, the mark of a mature Christian is they're easily edified. And I have tried, I would have been served so much earlier in my life if I had heard that quote. Because as a, a, a junior and senior in Bible college was incredibly arrogant, thought that I knew everything, would critique people endlessly. And what it has caused me to do is to find, be able so much quicker to find encouragement by what other people are growing in. Just because that's not where I am doesn't mean I can't be excited about where they're growing. So. We need to think practically about what the purpose of gathering. And then uh, I, I just titled this second point, Gather More. 
gather more. Look at verse 25. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. The solution to the problem of how do we accomplish verse 24 is given to us in verse 25. And the simple admonition is to not do less, but to do more. To to not stop gathering, but to continue to gather. Now, I I know this is difficult, and I I, I was worried about this, because I think people are going to hear this potentially and go, so you're saying we don't, we we shouldn't be concerned about our health, we shouldn't be concerned about the current situation. I'm not diminishing that. I'm saying this is past coronavirus. This is past whatever is making people anxious about coming back to church. Because here's the deal. A year from now, we're probably going to be in a whole lot different spot, and you'll be back to taking church for granted. We'll have moved on to this, to whatever the next crisis is, because in case you haven't noticed, and it's been this way for, I don't know, the last 4,000 years, uh, basically since Genesis chapter 3, we've been moving from one crisis to another. Crisis 1. Don't eat this fruit. Comes, God comes back. What did you do? We ate the fruit. Crisis one. Crisis two. Where's your brother? I'm not our brother's keeper. Well, why is his blood crying out from the fields? Well, crisis two. And on and on and on and on and on it goes. Now, this does not mean that the church does not care about crises that are affecting the world. But we understand what the problem and the root behind them is. is ultimately rebellion against a holy God. And one of the primary ways that so-called Christians rebel against God is saying, I'm a Christ follower, but I never go to church. I'm a Christ follower, but on Sunday you'll never find me with a gathering of believers that has been gathering every Lord's Day for the last 2,000 years celebrating the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The reason for not gathering here is multifaceted. So to say it's for one reason or the other is simply wrong. The the reason for not gathering in this context is multifaceted. Probably, given chapters 12 and 13, if you continue to read the book of Hebrews, it's a result of persecution that some are not gathering. They're worried about being persecuted. And that's a legitimate fear, but it's not one that should keep us from gathering. And I think if we're not careful, we're going to be lulled to sleep by this and other things that come our way and think the church will never really face persecution in the West. I think if you believe that, you are misguided because it's coming. Whether you like it or not, we don't need to look behind every dark corner. There's not a boogeyman waiting to, to lurch out of the church, but just pay attention watch as the world and so they're actually being physically persecuted in this context and we could say man that actually is kind of a legitimate reason to maybe not gather but the author of hebrews says that's not a legitimate reason the other reasons are more damning than persecution just straight up apathy and indifference to gathering not caring and i'm going to be real straight with you tonight because i know you get a bad rap been a college pastor for the last six years and i know that your generation and the group of students that come behind you whenever you're in the 18 to 25 year old gap 
you are like the target for everybody who's ever done anything difficult before you. Because apparently every generation, pre-18 to 25-year-olds, all walk to school up two hills in six feet of snow in the middle of California. I get it. You guys are busted on by every generation. If it makes you feel any better, the people who are saying mean things about you now, their parents were saying mean things about them when we were going through Summer of Love, Haight-Ashbury. Every, every major movement of young people have been critiqued by old people. That's what happens when you get old. You start to critique young people. Even now, I feel it. I see, like, six-year-olds going through our neighborhood, and I just want to yell at them, like, get out of here. Go. I'm just kidding. It's not happening. Here's the deal. A lot of you guys take a lot of criticism, and I watch because I am a people watcher. I watch our church. I'm going to tell you this. Apathy and indifference to coming to church is not something that plagues you just when you're 18 to 25. It plagues you from 18 till you go in the grave. And I'm telling you right now, if you don't make this a priority, it will continue to not be a priority until you die. Because there are lots of adults in our church who any whim of anything other than Jesus comes up on a Sunday, they're gone. That's apathy. That's indifference. That's lack of valuing the local church. And I'm here to tell you tonight, and you can repeat me as long as the sun is up or the moon is up or whatever. As long as the day is day. As long as the night is night. It doesn't matter what age you are. If you do not make gathering with people a priority, you will struggle to make it a priority for the rest of your life. So don't buy into the hype of it's just it's just for this season. I'm just giving up church a little bit here and there for this season because there's always another season coming. There's always another thing coming. There's always something else competing for our attention. And I think this warning is incredibly poignant. Again, another commentator writes that the next passage, verse 26 through 31, illuminates the warning against forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. He says that this passage implies, if you continue to read on in chapter 10, that people who deliberately and persistently abandon the fellowship of Christian believers are in danger of repeating the sin of Israel and of abandoning the Lord himself. Like, it's not that big of a deal. I just catch it online. No, it is a big deal. It is a big deal. And you're going to feel the pull of this as we get back into the season of life and everything else becomes more significant and more important and things begin to come back on your schedule and I can go away to the lake and I can go away and do this and I can go away for a weekend trip and that and this and that and this and all before you know it, you're back into the routine of it's online, I can get it. It goes. David's sermon goes up on Thursday morning, I can get it. The sermons are on from Pastor Eddie. A little bit while and I can figure out what they're doing on Sundays for small groups. That is the opposite of what a Christian should be doing. The Christian says more. I want more. Give me more, more church, more small groups, more Wednesday nights, more Bible study, more random hangouts where people are doing stupid stuff. But there is one conversation that happens that encourages me for the week. I want more of that. I want more encouragement. I want more fellowship. More sharing burdens. Give me 
more, more, more. I want more of the life of people who love Christ, not less of it. If we're not careful, we will not make this a priority. So obviously, we can look around the room tonight and know there are people who are not back yet. And rather than sitting and casting judgment of where are they, where are they, where are they, why don't we just go stinking get them? I noticed so-and-so wasn't there. Me neither, me neither. When did we become this group? When did we become the Waldorf and Statler of going to church? The two cranky old men in the Muppets who are sitting down going, that was a medium sketch. It wasn't rare and it certainly wasn't well done. That's what the danger of becoming Christians who constantly are looking for things to critique rather than investing fall into time and time again. And if we're not careful, this group here will be just like some of those down there. More, more, more. I want more because I want to love people more. I want to stir them up. I want to encourage them because I know mutual encouragement is coming my way. Are you or will you make, not just a college ministry, please don't hear this as a college ministry plea. I don't want you to make college ministry a priority. I want you to make gathering with believers who happen to be in the college ministry a priority. Because then when you get married or you move or you go somewhere else and you're involved there, it's not about what ministry you are in, but it's the fact that you're gathering together with other believers. And then I'll just ask you this. You've got a perfect opportunity. Will you guard the time? with the intention being to come and encourage others. You guard this time. This is sacred and holy time. This is not time merely just for my spiritual growth, but for the encouragement of other people, for the investment in other people. That I look around looking like, who can I be an encouragement to this week? Who's sitting alone? Who's, who, who have I not yet met? Who, who, who have I yet to build a friendship with, a relationship with? Because in the body of Christ, no one should say, well, they're not really my friend. Look, I'm not saying you all have to be tight with one another. Kumbaya, you're all getting together for a 40-year reunion and just living it up. You're all going on group vacations together. And this is like Trave College Ministry from the class of 2020. It's 2045 and we're hitting a cruise together. I, that is not the point. It's not the point to be with your weird high school friends doing weird stuff for the rest of your life. Because ultimately, hopefully, what brings us around each other here is not each other, but God's word and being a Christ follower. That's what pulls people from as varied backgrounds as the people I'm looking at tonight together. Because some of you would never spend time together this side of heaven if it weren't for Christ. If it was just your flesh, you'd never spend time together. You'd never be in the same room together. Because you don't have anything that brings you together. But Christ is stronger than all of that. And if we don't remember that that's the reason why we gather, then this just becomes another activity, like belonging to another club or another organization. Let's pray together this evening. Father.